Dear listener, and welcome to the 14th Crypto Corner episode of the Metacast by Nabik. I'm your host, Nicola Vreke, or Nico for short. And today I'm having a co-host, Devin Beckers here to, to back me up. And we are talking to Nicholas Nick, Captain Kicks, Knoiper, who's the co-founder of Crypto Raiders. Um, so today we're talking about Crypto Raiders, we're taking a bit of a deep dive in it. Uh, first, let's do some intros before we do. I'll, I'll introduce myself for the new people. So I'm Nico, I'm hosting the Metacast for Navic, but I'm also an investor at Bitcraft Ventures, where I focus on the crypto gaming stuff, which is very exciting. And then Devin, how about you, sir? Yeah, Devin Becker, I, uh, I'm working actually with a company called Lyceum that's doing some uh, tooling platform stuff fo- to help players better match up with uh, NFTs and guilds and stuff to be able to play to earn a little bit more efficiently based off their skill level. Some cool stuff there. Nice. And then Nick? Fantastic. I'm one of the co-founders of Crypto Raiders. Uh, we're a NFT RPG strategy game that's been around since June of last year. Um, been growing and getting a lot of traction and just honestly having the time of my life. Uh, I I come from a uh, digital advertising background and every day I wake up and say, man, I'm blessed that I'm, I'm able to build a video game every day. Cool. So, I mean, let's dive in immediately. Nick, tell us a bit about how you ended up starting or, or joining the team at, at uh, Crypto Raiders. What started this this whole thing? Yeah, great question. So I, I've i known about crypto for a long time, but like a lot of recent additions to the crypto space, I, I really dived in heavily after um, March 2020 with the whole, you know, coronavirus thing. I think that got a lot of people to, to finally jump into the space. Um, and then early last year, January, uh, a buddy told me about NFTs on Nifty Gateway, and I just absolutely fell in love. I'm a, I'm a gamer uh, for my, my whole life, and I think a lot of people in the gaming space, um, it, it, it's just the uh, NFTs just clicked instantly for me. So I, I traded NFTs heavily for all of last year. Um, and after a period of time, I, I did a consulting gig for like one or two projects, and I kind of saw when you don't see the inside of a project, you kind of think like, is this even like, you don't even think about being able to do one yourself. But after consulting for a few projects, I was like, hey, like I could actually build a project with some friends. And so a buddy of mine who I is is a, a gamer friend, genius developer, um, we've been friends for like 15 years, I would call him like once a month and pitch him just a different idea for an NFT project. And he'd be like, oh, that's cool. We talk about it for an hour and then, you know, nothing would happen. Um, and finally around May, I called him and this time he had seen enough about NFTs that it, it started clicking for him too. And uh, he presented the idea for what is now Crypto Raiders. And um, we have a ton of experience playing World of Warcraft together, RuneScape, Path of Exile, Diablo, um, all of these kind of RPG strategy games. And at the time, it was really like Axie Infinity and Zed Run were the two big NFT games that were actually out there and playable. And of course, there was like Alluvium and Parallel at the time that were, you know, big, big raises, but didn't have an actual game. But we we saw a space for, or, or a niche rather, for an RPG strategy game like similar to World of Warcraft or RuneScape and for us as gamers in those like RPG kind of games, the NFT use case made just complete sense to us even more than most games. Um, we played a lot of Counter-Strike together. And of course, you know, like you can trade Counter-Strike skins and all of that. So, um, but when you look at RPG strategy games with the items and the gear and the materials, uh, the, the synergies with NFTs like made a lot of sense to us. So. Uh, we we launched our project. It was a it was a small project out of the gate. We actually started at 0.01 ETH, believe it or not, when ETH was down at like the two thousand dollar range um, back in back in May June, and uh, and uh, successfully sold out. and And ever since then, we've just been building, growing the team, and and just shipping. All right, and so. Could you give us like a brief overview of how the game works? So for, for people out there, like how should I imagine this? Um, yep. And then maybe after, or maybe while you're doing that, maybe you can describe the, the types of assets in the game. Because um, you, you, you talked about NFTs. What, what NFTs are you talking about? Uh, give us some, some color there. Yeah, definitely. So so how the game works, if you were just to start it from the beginning, you'd buy a, a level one ungeared raider um, and you get X number of free dungeon runs per week. 
and then you can buy dungeon keys and run additional runs per week if you want to. Um, but basically what you're trying to do is level up your character, get it better gear, and you want to get to the end game where there's more interesting things um, happening. And so basically what you do is you queue up, you go into a dungeon that is is one that you have a good chance of winning based on your skill level. So we have like level recommendations. Um, but if you defeat the, the uh, enemy in the dungeon, you'll get a, a loot drop and it's randomized. You could get a common, an uncommon, a rare, an epic. Um, and basically you're grinding through these different dungeons. You're trying to get up to max level, which like right now is like level eight or nine. And you're trying to get, you know, the best gear you possibly can. Once you get up to the top level, we have daily duels tournaments, uh, which is basically one V one PVP where you can compete against other raiders. Um, I think in January, the total prize pool for the month was like 30 grand, uh, February is 50 grand. March, we're going up to 100, 150 grand. So there's there's a real like fun uh, end game, you know, earning, you know, uh, a fighting mechanism. But right now, the NFT characters are what you can trade. We're working on people being able to trade the items themselves. Uh, but right now, the items are attached to the player. So we see it all the time. Someone gets a super rare weapon. They're able to sell their NFT on OpenSea for maybe five, ten times what they bought it for because the person buying it wants to take that rare weapon and go into the duels tournaments and and try to you know compete. Um, we also have an interesting mechanic to our game where we have uh, NFTs that are called mobs, and they're the actual enemies that you can face in the dungeons. So we have a new dungeon type that's coming out. It's sort of similar to Slay the Spire. It's like, you know, you try to see how deep you can go before you die. Um, and in that dungeon, all of the mob NFT enemies, they appear as the enemies. What's interesting is if you own a mob NFT, if it defeats the raider, you get uh, an earning. You get our in-game currency, which is Aurum. So we've now introduced a, a pretty innovative mechanic where people can not only own the characters in the game, but they can own like the the playable characters, but they also can own the enemies in the game, and and potentially earn um, from from having a, a great mob that can just take down raiders left and right. So there's that mechanic as well. And then we also recently introduced uh, farming where after you've run your dungeons for the week, you can send your raider and they can go farm materials. You can craft those materials into health potions and then bring them back into game and then actually use the health potions in game. So we're, we're expanding on, on the layers of, of NFTs and tokens and materials that are tradable and usable um, in the game. But at the core level, you're basically playing like a Diablo or a RuneScape. You're trying to level up your character. You're trying to get better gear. You're trying to get better materials. And then you're using that to compete in the end game. So right now, the end game is, is PvP duels. We're also working on like multiplayer complex dungeons like World of Warcraft where you need 10 or 15 friends to go in and take down a really big boss. Um, and then those will be our two pillars at the end game. It'll be, you know, do you want to go PvP? Do you want to go PvE? Do you want to do both? Fascinating. Um, what kind of skill expression is there in the game now? And how do you want to see that evolve towards the future? Yeah, so right now the, the skill expression in the game is is really around uh, two components. One is figuring out how to gear your character properly. And then the second is how to spec your gear properly. So as you're leveling up, you're getting skill points and you can put them into strength, intelligence, agility, wisdom, charm, or luck. Um, and each of those uh, have uh, different modifiers. Some of them will help with damage, health, crit, um, all of those different things. So there's a skill component there as well. And then also in the next month, we're going to be launching abilities into the game. So there's going to be nine starting abilities. And then on top of that, we're going to allow players to specialize into classes and unlock class abilities. Like if you're a wizard or a knight or a paladin or a druid. Um, that's when I think the game gets really interesting and complex because now it's not just about items. It's not just about your how you spec out your raider skill-wise, but then also it's going to be how do you understand how to use your abilities to, to play against different people that are spec differently, right? So you may have a strategy if you're going up against a, a strength warrior hero. You may have a certain ability combination 
uh, that you think will help you win there versus you may have a completely different um, path of decisions if you're going up against a wizard or a rogue, et cetera. So mm -hmm. um, right now it's really about the strategy of properly building your character. And within the next month, it there will also be a huge strategic, um, uh, you know, to, to how you uh, decision make in combat. Cool. And could you, um, so as far as, as far as I understand, currently you have two types of NFTs. One is the playable characters, two is the mobs. Um, over time, you might have items become NFTs as well. Um, you talked about Aurum, if I'm not mistaken, which yep. is a token. Yep. Um, could you talk more about the different types of tokens you have? Definitely. And there actually is one more NFT. So one of the things that we do in, in our game, our, our team, we have the philosophy that we've already made enough capital to build a, a, a great game. A lot of other people out there, they want to keep launching new NFTs that you can mint here by land, here by this, here by that. We want all of the additional assets in the game to either be earned or airdrop to people that are staking raiders. So the recent one we did was mounts. Um, and so we actually airdrop mounts to a bunch of players. What's cool about mounts is that if you attach a mount to your raider, when you're farming these materials, you have uh, additional movement speed, which allows you to farm quicker. Um, so like a normal mount maybe gives you a 50% boost, an epic mount gives you 100% boost. And then eventually in game, mounts will have utility in terms of traveling through the overworld. Um, so that is an additional item that we have. But on the token side, we have two primary tokens. We have Raider and we have Aurum. So the easiest way to compare it is that if you know about big NFT games like Axie Infinity. So Axie has their governance token, which is AXS. Raider is our governance token. So they're mm -hmm. fairly comparable. And then Aurum is our in-game currency. That's what you use to do everything in the game. That's most similar to SLP, which is Axie Infinity's in-game currency. So those are our two primary um, tokens. And then um, we have some additional tokens as well. But on the Raider side, there's two things that you can do with Raider. One is you can stake Raider. And if you stake Raider, Raider stakers, not only do they get airdrops like mounts, they also got airdropped the mob NFTs, uh, but you also receive 50% of the in-game Aurum spend. So Raider stakers um, what's interesting is as a player, you could buy Raider, stake it, and then earn Aurum back that then you can use to play in the game. Um, mm -hmm. How do you accumulate Raider? So eventually you'll be able to accumulate some Raider in-game, but we'll, we'll make it very selective. Like you'll have to win a big duels tournament or your guild will have to take down a big boss. It won't be everyone earning uh, Raider. But right now, you can earn Raider by providing liquidity to our liquidity pools. And so that's how people are accumulating more Raider. Um, Aurum, we're about a week or two away to start uh, making Aurum droppable in-game. And that will be the first kind of play-to-earn mechanism to come into our game. Um, so Aurum, you're able to use to recruit new Raiders during our recruitment events. You're able to use Aurum to buy dungeon keys. So... Let's say you're max level, but you don't have you're missing one item and you really want to get into duels. After you've run your five free uh dungeon runs, you can buy dungeon keys with Aurum and, and raid more and more and more. Um and then you can also use Aurum to um uh reset your stats as well. There's like a stat key that you can use to reset your stats if you want to respec your character. Um, and then there's some Aurum fees on the farming side. So those are our secondary tokens. So right now we have Grimweed, Eye of the Newt, and then Health Potions. Um, and so those are those are those are more like utility tokens. Like they're not supposed to be. They're supposed to be used in game. Um, so they're not like primary tokens. But that's what you can. That's an additional thing you can do with your raider. You could go run your dungeons. Then you can send them off on a quest. They can accumulate Grimweed, Eye of the Newt, turn it into health potions, which will then soon be able to be ported into game. You'll be able to use a health potion during a duel, or maybe you're struggling to beat a certain dungeon. You can pop a health potion and maybe be able to take down that dungeon. Um, but we're excited about seeing how that plays out from an economic standpoint, just how the community prices these things, values these things, uses these things. Um, but yeah, in summary, Raider, our governance token, Aurum, our utility token, and then we have some secondary tokens that are focused around farming and materials. Mm -hmm. You talked about um, staking Raider. 
and then receiving 50% of the orum that was spent inside the game. How does that mechanism work? Because SLP, for example, um, if you own SLP, you basically own a part of the total treasury, but it's not really paid out. How does it work in, in crypto raiders? Yeah, so um, basically what we do is like every couple of weeks, we look at the run rate of how much Orem is being spent in game across the board. So recruitment events, uh, how, how much is spent on dungeons, running additional dungeons, and then whatever that amount is, we cut it in half and then we send that half uh, to... Uh, obviously dripped out daily um, to mm -hmm. Raider stakers, but that's all managed by our treasury. Okay. But then you also have the other mechanism, right, that you guys did recently the, in that Tokenomics 2.0 thing uh, with Olympus Pro, right, where you're doing the, their protocol uh, liquidity stuff to, to be able to stake a little bit differently, essentially with a, something called bonds, right? Yeah, so... Um, uh, Nat, uh, is our, our tokenomics guy. He's, he's awesome. He built us an amazing tokenomics structure. He pretty much has done everything that's on chain solidity from the questing, farming, tokenomics, et cetera. So, um, he's, he's, uh, doing a transition to a bonds program with us. It'll, it'll happen over a long period of time, but basically the easiest way to, for people that don't know how bonds work, um, basically right now we pay people Raider to rent their liquidity. Um, basically they can provide LP and then they earn rate over time with bonding. We're actually paying them to buy the liquidity from them. The important difference is, is that at the end of four years, the rewards for providing liquidity go away. Um, and then what happens to the liquidity of the tokens with, with bonding programs, protocols, or games like us, we're able to essentially buy the liquidity from people so that at the end of four years, even though there's no incentive for people to provide liquidity, the treasury will have a ton of liquidity to, to keep the game going for decades to come. Um, so we started uh, launching that program, I think, last week. It's um, And we're just going to slowly progress you know, into it however long it takes uh, for the market. It could be six months. It could be a year. It could be two years. But basically, the long-term goal there is if we're trying to build a game that's going to, you know, stand the test of time, 10, 15 years, we need to start owning more of the liquidity um, so that uh, when the four years runs out, we don't have $50 million of liquidity, but no reason for people to keep the liquidity uh, in the game. Um, and that wouldn't be good for gamers or, or people that are, you know, investing in, in, in the tokens. But it's, it's, for me, it's really interesting how uh, the, the complexity of, of, the tokenomics of these games. I mean, I, I think that, and you all know better than me, I think it's hard enough to build a successful game that, that people want to play. But then in Web3, you have to balance that with NFTs that are retaining value or maybe growing in value. And then also a whole tokenomic structure that at the same time you're hoping to retain or everyone's hoping they those appreciate in value as well right mm -hmm. so not only do you have to build a great game but you have to build a great game where the nfts retain value and also the tokens retain value so it's an interesting trifecta of things that you know you, you have to balance out in this space but it's very exciting i've uh I, previously i've tried making the case that the three most important new jobs in web3 will be one um game economists economists yep. who can like design these kind of economies then community builders and three solidity developers because uh you know <laughs> you still need to be able to put all of these ideas into code onto the blockchain it's funny you mentioned um, that because i said that you know uh web3 games are going to have almost like a new c-suite role cdo chief DeFi officer because like mm. it really is so important the decisions that are made there could you could have a great game and you could ruin the game economy with one poor decision mm -hmm. in that space. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it, you can, it, the success of your game can, can swing massively just depending on the decisions you make in that one area. Well, speaking of that, yeah. then, are you considering the game to be play to earn, play and earn, pay to play? Like what, what is the actual goal in terms of your tokenomics and what you're trying to hope the, the players achieve by playing it? Yeah, and, and that's that's a great question. I feel like as an industry, everyone's trying to you know figure that out to 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 some extent. How I look at it is that right now, play to earn has only been validated uh, almost as a function of the growth of the game, where where play to earn the earnings are coming from the growth of the game. 
Um, but as we've seen with Axie Infinity, once like growth stalls, you need something other than that to really, you know, keep everything propped up. How we're looking at it is that <clears throat> we, first of all, we think during the growth of the game, you know, play to earn mechanisms can be very strong, but on a multi-year horizon, we look at play and I like to call it, you know, play and earn, but I don't see a huge difference between that and play to earn. It's just changing one word, right? Earnings still in there. Um, we think that we want to shape earnings so that they're dynamic and skill-based. Um, and, you know, Axie Infinity does that to an extent, right? You have to have the right Axie teamed uh, uh, characters and you have to have a good scholar to, to win there. But like for us, for example, like we want like a big, like a big earning to come from the first guild that takes down a new PVE boss, right? Or we want like the big earnings to come from um, uh, the the top finisher in March's duels tournaments. Um, but then we also want earnings to come from the actual economy of the space, um, meaning like trading uh, items or like being like, hey, Grimweed is is way over underpriced right now. I'm gonna buy that and earn, which is which is very similar to what I've seen in the traditional space. So I played World of Warcraft when I was 14 or 15 years old. Um, I, I had sold Haba Hotel furniture on eBay and I had got like 350 bucks and I didn't want to level my character to 60 in World of Warcraft. So I paid like a Chinese power leveling firm like 300 bucks to level me from 40 <laughs> to 60, right? And then I geared up the character and grinded on the character and then I ended up selling the character for you know 650 bucks or something like that so back 15 20 you know 15 20 years ago i paid someone for time for them to get my character to a certain level and then i grinded in the game and then sold it at a premium and i think that's where like the real like earning in a game really should come from is it's a it's a transfer of time just like in real world economies right like okay why should a level eight character be worth more than a level one character because the time and money it took to get them to level eight and that's where like i think play to earn long-term value should come from long term it doesn't logically make sense that if you have a game that's not growing, that everybody in the game can all be earning exorbitant amounts of money. It just, the math doesn't line up. So <laughs> I think that like short-term, we're looking at, you know, play and earn like other companies, which is as the game grows, basically the early adopters of the game can benefit strongly from the growth through the play to earning mechanisms. But once you get to a level of growth plateau, the conversation I think has to change where it's like, it becomes more of like a time function. Like I'm making money in this game because of the amount of time that I'm spending in it. Not just cause I'm sitting in the game, clicking the easiest dungeon for three hours every day. Like I'm, I'm putting time in it and it's skill-based time. It's not just sitting at the computer, clicking two buttons. So I don't have an easy answer, you know, for, for like how it looks long-term. But like that's kind of our philosophy is that during the growth phase, play to earn can really be for everyone. But once you get to a certain phase in the game, it really needs to boil down to a function of skill, a function of time. Then why is the time uh, caged to per week rather than per day for the uh, the, the five runs? Because I mean, most of the other games, you know, it's getting it per day and that's kind of norm for like the free to play space going back to the canvas days. But you guys are doing it per week. Why, why on a weekly basis? That, that's a great question. And actually, so the endless dungeon that I mentioned to you that we're launching that has the mobs in it, those will be one free per day. So that will be, you'll be able to run those free once per day, and then you can pay if you want to run more every day. But we are with that new dungeon type switching to a switching to a daily model. And we may eventually switch the story mode uh, dungeons to a daily model as well. Um, we just kind of out of the gate set it as a as a run per week thing. That way, if someone has a character and they only want to play it on Saturday, you know, they're they're able to just get all of their runs in on one day and they don't feel like they're losing out. But then also you have the problem of then people play the game for an hour and then they're doing nothing for a week. Right. So that's why we're experimenting with the endless dungeons with a one free run per day. Um, we'll see how that goes. And if it goes very well, maybe we switch the story mode to that as well. You talked about um, wanting to maximize, in quotes, the, the amount of time spent playing the game. 
because of your players. Could you talk a bit about your KPIs right now? Like, what are you looking at? Uh, what is important to you? What do you analyze? Yeah, so uh, we look at multiple things. One is the, um, like, out of the amount of Raiders that we have, how many are being used every week? Um, mm -hmm. I think that's an important metric, especially in the NFT Web3 gaming space, because there's a lot of speculation. So if you mm -hmm. see, a, if you have a lot of assets, but you look at your stats and only 20% of them are being used in the game, that's a sign that you have a ton of speculation and not a lot of people actually playing. So I think that we were averaging like 90% of our Raiders were being played every week, which was a really good number. We've mm -hmm. expanded supply pretty significantly over the past two months. I think it's more down at like 80%, but still, but still a healthy level. Um, and that's people just running dungeons. So right now, some people may be using some of their raiders just to farm materials. And so they're not being captured in, in the actual. So that's one thing we look at is how many raiders are actually being used as playable characters every week. So that's an important KPI for us. Um, as a business, another important KPI is is how many people are also paying for additional dungeon runs. Um, that's not only beneficial to us, but that's beneficial to Raider stakers, right? Because they're getting 50% of all mm -hmm. in-game spend. So we want people to like not just be doing their five free runs per week. And it's fine if they just want to do their five free runs per week, but it's great for the game if people are paying for an extra five runs and they, you know, because they want to get an item or something like that. So we're tracking the amount of like paid dungeons um, per week. And then, of course, we're tracking the amount of unique wallets that that hold our NFT, and that's that's kind of our growth. So we're looking at like the growth of our player base, the revenue generated from our player base, and then the activity, like the general activity of our player base. Makes a lot of sense. What is currently the barrier of entry for the game? Yeah, like so how the much barrier, you need to to pay? Yeah. yeah, yeah, great question. So the barrier to entry of the game currently is: Do you know how to bridge to Polygon? Mm. <laughs> step step one, because we're over on mm -hmm. Polygon, we're not on Mainnet. Um, and then and then number two is the cost to buy a Raider, and that's been a big point of contention with our community that we've been working through, and also with us strategically. But our vision is that a lot of these NFT games out there, they're they're really a game of 2000 people playing a game of chicken with a NFT that's worth 1.5 Ethereum, right? Like, <laughs> they, they, like that's not, you can't scale to millions of players at that uh, very easily, right? So for us, we want the entry to our game to be similar to, as you said, everything's free to play now. I've, I've been playing Halo Infinite free to play, but usually you'd be used to paying 50 bucks, right? To get into a new game, 50, 60 bucks. So we want to get the cost of our basic, latest generation unleveled raiders down to like 50 bucks then we think the the case to get a lot of new players becomes stronger versus like uh how many gamers out there can just casually drop three thousand dollars to to get into a game you know not that many mm -hmm. so right now i think our floor is at like 120 bucks so we're getting closer to that level of accessibility but also a couple of weeks ago we launched a pretty uh i love this new feature but we launched guilds and then we launched a, a, a login feature where you can attach your wallet to a login. And the interesting thing about that is one, like we have players that are like, I'm on vacation and I'm on my phone and I can play Crypto Raiders, even though my MetaMask laptop is 2000 miles away from me because they can just log in and play. Right. Hmm. And the next step is through guilds, you actually can invite your friends to, to create an account on our website and they can play your Raiders for free. Um, and that's our, our biggest like vision is like right now, like for growth right now, NFT games is you have to understand crypto, then you have to understand NFTs, and then you have to have the budget to be able to afford the NFT to get in the game. We want our game to be, we want that process to be flipped where someone can join the game and start playing before they understand cryptos cryptocurrency before they understand NFTs. And then as they're playing the game and having fun, and then they get a rare weapon and then their buddy's like, dude, that weapon's worth a half an Ethereum. They're probably going to want to learn cryptocurrency and NFTs at that point. Right? So I think as an industry, that's what we have to solve. We have to solve this. How do you onboard just normal gamers that want to play a game and have fun? And then they can learn cryptocurrency and NFTs and understand that whole ecosystem. Right now, it's flipped. And I think that's part of the reason why 
like there's not explosive growth in in most nft games because there's just a lot of barriers of entry for a player to get in so we're trying to tackle mm -hmm. that problem as well in terms of that though you how exactly do you plan on doing that sorry yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Devin. I was just in, in terms of that. You guys also have permadeath, though, so you have a situation where you're you're buying that fifty dollar game, right? But you could actually lose that game, essentially, right? And, and so that's that's something that differentiates you guys. Uh, where did that even come from? In terms of, I mean, I, I obviously realize you you know burning NFTs is an economic decision yep. as part of it, right? But you guys also are introducing a, a risk mechanic to even just playing the game. Totally. So we actually haven't introduced permadeath yet into the game. Um, and it, it's something that we will eventually introduce into the game, but it's going to be an optional thing. So uh, average day casual gamers, they will not have to worry about losing their character. Um, permadeath will basically be like an optional choice and there will be a risk reward trade-off. So like if you do go into a permadeath dungeon, you're going in with the risk of death at the benefit of better items or better gear. Um, and that's why we still haven't implemented it yet because it has to be very carefully done. Because uh, if you make it so that it's too easy to die, that's not fun. And if, uh, and if you make it that it's too hard to die, then people are just getting inflated gear with very little risk. So we don't have it in the game intentionally right now because it's very important to, to balance properly. And also, just like you said, that is a psychological barrier. If everybody had a chance of death, that's going to hurt. Like people aren't going to spend 50 bucks if they think they can just make one mistake and and lose all of their money. Um, so we haven't implemented that. We're still we're still figuring out the the best way to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so Navig did a deep analysis of the Axie economy, and and one of the shortcomings in a way was that the Axie inflation was out of the control or almost like not fully in control of the, the Axie Infinity team or the Sky Mavis team. Um, as far as, as I understand with Crypto Raiders, it's different, right? You have, you are actually the ones who decide when new Raiders are being created. Is that correct? Yeah, so um, basically when we first started off, we had closed recruitment. And so we would just open up recruitment like every two months. We've recently switched to open recruitment but with the ability for us to turn it on and off. Um, but since recruitment has a cost, there's essentially a balancing level where it doesn't make sense to recruit. It's not profitable. And so then no one will recruit and uh, until like new demand comes in. We're having a little bit of contention with that with our, with our uh, community because same thing is if you inflate the amount of raiders too much, then it just suppresses the price. Of, of new characters. And if you don't have that growth coming in, then you just have a lot of people with depressed prices and they're, and they're frustrated. We have to balance that with also like trying to make the game affordable to get new players coming in. Um, so basically right now we're, we're considering like potentially we could, if, if, the supply is getting too high. We could just pause recruitment for another two months and and let the new growth of the game um, uh, come into play. But the different the the core difference between us and Axie Infinity is is the items that you get on the character, right? Um, in Axie Infinity, like the Axie you get is the Axie you get. Although with their like Origins release, I think they are going to add items and upgrades and all sorts of things um, to the characters. But like with us, we look at like the cost of a character as like uh, it it should be a function of the items that it has or the level that it has or the you know the the skills that it has acquired in playing and that's where the real value should be embedded like there shouldn't be like real long-term value just uh, or like a lot of value just by recruiting a raider and trying to flip it for 3x right um, but once again that is like another example of the complex dynamics of nfts which is like Okay, how do we how do we get the cost to be affordable to enter the game without pissing off all of our players, which are the reason why we're successful in the first place? Um, and we had a huge debate with the community over the whole weekend um, because the cost of the NFTs are going down, which is making the game more affordable. But then people are losing out on earnings potential of being able to to flip these characters. So it it is possible that in the next couple of weeks we say, hey, okay, we're going to pause recruitment for the 
you know, next few months. But our thought process with open recruitment was that you allow the market to kind of naturally reach equilibrium and expand and contract um, naturally. Well, expand, you can't contract the amount of NFTs out there. It's going to be tied to the price it, of Orem though, essentially, right? Just like SLP it, exactly. helps drive the price yep. of Axie breeding. So that like in terms of profitability in market and stuff like that, it's not just the price of the NFT. It's the price to breed the NFT essentially. Exactly. So if it's 1200 Orem to recruit right now and Orem's at 0.04 cents, then you're it's like 50 bucks to recruit. So if you can recruit for 50 bucks and you can sell it on the market for like 120, well, you're, you're instantly kind of able to double your money. Um, but if the price of Orem drops, it could become even more attractive to recruit. If the price of Orem really goes up, it could be less attractive to recruit. So you're right. It's not just the NFT itself. It's the NFT paired with the price of the in-game currency that kind of determines the, the recruitment strategy. Does that mean you have a kind of a target price in mind then? So you have you have a price in mind for uh, paying for a new NFT, right? So you around 50 bucks um, or maybe give or take. Uh, does that mean then you have a specific target price in mind for Aurum as well? Yeah, that's a great question. We uh, originally in the game, we were like, okay, we want to try to keep it around 20 cents. Um, it's now at 40 cents. So we haven't done a great job of that. Um, we ideally want it in the like 20 to 30 or two to three cent range. The interesting thing is, is that if the price of Orem goes up, then the USD cost to do things in game goes up, right? So like people that are speculating on Orem, they're like, oh, it doubled, it's great. On our end, we're looking at it and we're like, okay, the cost to get it, like to run an extra dungeon just went from 50 cents to a dollar. That's not great for the gamers uh, themselves. So that's one of the reasons why we're introducing like the play to earn mechanisms in the next couple of weeks is because that's going to allow us to uh, help balance the price a little better than like right now we don't have very many tools to balance the price. Having play to earn in the game will allow us to balance the price of Orem. Essentially, there's more buyers, there's more demand from Orem than there is people trying to sell it. And so not a bad problem to have, but getting play to earn in place will help us balance that out. But that is just a really interesting challenge or, or, or problem enough. I've actually theorized that we will see more games in the future that will create a, their version of SLP or their version of Orem as a literal stable coin. Um, I, cause I think that when you just think about the dynamics of everything, having a price that's stable, it solves so many problems. Then you're not worried about, Oh, Orem goes up. Okay. That's great for speculators, but now recruitment costs has doubled and doing anything in game has now doubled. And then conversely, if if Orem goes down to, you know, a penny, well now recruitment maybe is way too cheap and so then people flood the supply of characters or raiding dungeons is way too te- cheap, so now the value of items goes down, right? And so like there's this interesting pendulum where it can either way it swings, there's a negative consequence and a positive consequence. Having it stable makes a lot of sense to me. It'll be interesting to see what happens in like the next year with new projects. I also think some projects may even avoid an in-game token and and try to just really focus on the NFT side of it and making like NFTs be the primary value mechanism. And maybe you just have like an actual in-game gold, like traditional gaming where it's just in-game. You can't bridge it out. You can't trade it. Uh, on the market. So, I mean, this is why I love this space because there's so many problems that don't have clear solutions and it makes it fun and challenging. Also scary at times, you know, you're laying in mm-hmm. bed at one thirty in the morning and you're like, fuck, we need to figure this out. Or <laughs> The decisions you make could have a significant financial impact on, on a bunch of your players. So, I was literally telling one of my co-founders, I'm like, this is what it probably feels like to be a publicly traded company. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. you you can make a decision that Everybody on your team believes this is the best decision for everybody in the game over the next two years, but you could launch it and people could hate it and your price can go down by 20% instantly. And like, that's the market feedback to you. Now it's like, mm-hmm. were we wrong or is the market wrong? It, it adds a little bit of a layer of stress that I don't exactly, you know, love, but you know, it, 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 it comes with the territory, but like a great example was like the bonding program, um, which we think is great long-term for the game. Right. Like four years from now, do you want the game to own the liquidity that keeps the game functioning or do you want us to have to come up with a new 
incentive program to keep renting liquidity from other people. But the community didn't take it favorably at first. Now more people are kind of warming up to it. But our token went down by 20% after that news, like 12 hours. Just 20, That was the market telling us, we don't like this. You know what I mean? And that, that's We're a little- not sold on this. Yeah, and that's stressful because it's like, are we right? Are they right? Is nobody right? Like either way, token down 20%, mm -hmm. you're not going to have a fun day in Discord if your token's down 20% after you launch <laughs> after you launch an, an update. Oh, that dynamic is so interesting to me because you can essentially have self-fulfilling prophecies where it doesn't even matter if what you're doing is correct. As long as everyone believes that it's correct, that's the only thing that matters. Exactly. Um, it, for a long period of time. Eventually, like yeah. if you go the wrong route, then it, you know something unwinds. But you're 100% right. Like the amount of value in just belief in this space, like you can't put a price tag on it. And that's part of the reason why we got to the point of success where we're at. I mean, we raised probably like $300,000 in NFTs because ETH, it was 0 0.01 and ETH was only at like 2,000 bucks. And mm -hmm. now our treasury, and we, it was a team of three people. Now our treasury has $5 million in it and we have a team of like 25. So we've like, we have received success. But when you look back at where does the success come from? It comes from people joining and believing in us. And that's why, because mm -hmm. if no one believed in us, we would not have $5 million in the treasury and our tokens would be close to zero, right? So mm -hmm. you're, you're spot on. Like, I think the two most important things in this space is, is belief in the future and um, uh, belief in the future, and then uh, attention. Attention is so important in this space because there's so many opportunities for people like you. And that's an interesting thing from like a community relations and, and marketing standpoint, because you have to kind of tell people like, okay, this is what's next. Like this is what's coming up in the next two, three, four weeks. Um, you know, because if you, if uh, a lot of people out there, they're just like, okay, we raised our money and now we're gonna go build for three months and you're not engaging with the community. And then next thing you know, the belief evaporates and then you have real problems. Mm -hmm. Could you give some more examples next to that about what you think you guys did right? Because you have a good community, you have some success, the game's getting traction, there's a lot of interaction. What were kind of the things that you look back and you say, I'm glad we did these things that you know developers can take away when they're you know trying to build a similar game? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a, a really, really, really good question. Um, I think that one thing that we've done a very good job of is consistent updates and improvements to the game, not going long periods of time without adding something into the game. We're essentially live shipping right now. And hmm. I know in a lot of like traditional gaming, that's that's usually you, you build a game for one year, two years, three years, right? And then you launch it like fully polished. Um, and and then you know uh, everyone starts playing it with I, I think with a lot of these new games coming on the space like you have to rate like do your initial launch but then you have to like live ship like the community has to see the progression of the game so like when we first sold out two or three weeks later you could literally walk through a dungeon and just open a loot box and get a basic item it was like that simple right and fast forward six months later now there's six or eight different dungeons on the story mode side there's hundreds of items that, that you can potentially spec out with. There's now a, a, a skill tree, a, a, a component where you're specking you know, your stuff differently. There's duels now. There's the whole farming side of it, farming materials. Um, you know, we've, we've really, we've really like progressed the game and the community has seen it. And I think that goes back to the belief thing, which is that a lot of people have seen the progression we've made in the last six months. So like anyone out there that's looking to build something like this, like my recommendation to you would be, and it's not always true, like Alluvium has, has been building for two or three years and they have a ton of success. So it, it's not a requirement, but like for us, the live shipping model really worked for us because I think it built that loyalty from the community. It built the belief from the community. I also think that our intentional strategy to make the assets that you continue to add to the game, they should not be mint where the treasury is making all of the money. The value should be dropped to players in the game or earned by players in the game. I think that's something that we'll see a lot more of because that once again, embeds belief loyalty, but it also, it, it, it's it's um, instead of extractive from your own ecosystem, you're adding value to your ecosystem. And I think that's an important component is 
especially like right now, NFTs are going crazy. There's people doing 10, $15 million mints with a fully anonymous team, no real roadmap or what's gonna actually. So I the, the desire to just make more money, it can be very tempting, but then you have, you've extracted value and now you have more assets that you have to create value for. And if you're extracting and also trying to create value, it doesn't usually work out that well. So for example, the the mobs uh, NFTs that, that we have that people love and are very popular, we could have minted those and probably made another 2 million bucks, but instead we airdropped them to the community. That, that $2 million is now in the ecosystem instead of in our treasury and us trying to figure out how to create value for it. So I think that you'll see mm -hmm. more games. And we weren't the first ones that come up came up with that. There's a lot of projects out there where you do the initial mint and a Board Ape Yacht Club, perfect example. You bought a Board Ape, right? You got a Board Ape Kennel Club free airdrop and you got a mutant free airdrop, right? And those things together are worth like 27 Ethereum. So if you had one ape, you got over $100,000 in in free airdrops. But I think the, di the dynamic that that creates from the community standpoint and the loyalty standpoint, that's part of why Board Ape Yacht Club is so successful and why those things are valued at those prices is because they're like dropping, they're embedding that value into the ecosystem, into the community instead of like extracting it. Yeah, very cool. Um one of the advantages, well, there's a few advantages. There's a lot of disadvantages to building a blockchain game. Yep. There's also a few advantages, right? One is that you have your whole financial infrastructure there, right? You didn't have to build a marketplace. Marketplace, there's OpenSea, so there, you know, the raiders can be traded. Um, you know, same for um, trading your tokens. Um, what are some other advantages of the blockchain that you're leveraging within your game i'm thinking uh, interoperability or perhaps even composability um how are you thinking around thinking around that and crypto raiders yeah that's a, that's a great question um so there's a lot of interest so one one example is um metaverses so a lot of games have natural synergies with metaverses because they're not direct competitors, but they're like close enough that there's lots of synergies. So we're uh, like worldwide web land or like NFT worlds. You see them doing a lot of partnerships with with games out there and creating like synergies there, which I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, there's another cool game out there called Galaxy Fighter Club. They're essentially like a PVP arena brawler game. Um, but the the characters are actually assets from all sorts of other NFT projects that they tap mm. in they tap into. Um, mm. I was personally a really big fan of like loot, the concept, maybe not the actual deliverability, but like the concept that there could be these like shared items that like different games could build on top of or or make some different use cases with. The the challenge, because you know, we we still need to see more real synergy in my opinion than just partnerships like how cool would it be to get an item in crypto raiders and then like take that rare item and you could actually have that item in the metaverse right like those kinds of synergies like still aren't there yet and then also i think that there's a little bit of a challenge of like creating synergies that aren't like vampire drains one way or the other right like where like for example how cool would it be if like in crypto raiders you could build your own like dungeons in crypto raiders your own dungeon nfts but then like another game could use those same nfts in their game like to create custom dungeons right um but the challenge i think from project to project is is creating it so it's a win-win synergy and not just like mm -hmm. a drain where it's like oh okay like everyone's taking this asset and they're just using it but there's no value coming back to the ecosystem and i think that's like a challenge that we're trying to figure out, but we've done some really interesting things. Like for example, we did a, uh, a, a Genesis music drop for our game where basically we worked with a bunch of musicians. They created soundtracks for our game. The community voted on their favorites and then we auctioned it out. 80% of the revenue went back to the musicians. So we thought it was kind of like a noble way to test music NFTs and try to help like struggling musicians break into the space. But then if you own this, Genesis soundtrack, um, when play to earn starts, like when that song is played in our game, there'll be an earning mechanism if you own the song NFT. 
that's an example of like a great synergy right there because like another game could just use our Genesis soundtrack for the soundtrack in their game, right? And that's like that beautiful example of interoperability. But that how do you make that other game pay the owner of the NFT to use it, right? So there's like, there's, I think, challenges that still have to be like, you know, like solved there is like, how do you make it so that other people can build on all of these interesting assets, but make it so that value can still come back to those same assets, if that makes sense. Do you guys have a policy on licensing? Then let's say I wanted to go off and build a game using my Cryptorators NFTs. Uh, what's the art licensing like? Am I allowed to use the art? You know, those kinds of policies are the ones that I think are the most unspoken about or unsolved in terms of that. Do you guys have a policy right now? Yeah, it's a great question. I think we're still trying to work the fine prints around the policy we're very open to it and like as you said it could be it, it could be something as simple as like hey you can use all of our assets to build a game but there's there's a royalty a, a revenue royalty for using some or all of our assets like in your game the interesting thing about that is then you almost have like a Warcraft 2. Remember all of the mods like Dota came, literally came out of being a War, uh, Warcraft 3, sorry. Came out of being a Warcraft 3 mod, right? Like whoever can solve that has the real potential to to create an ecosystem that people build all sorts of other interesting things on top. And if the value flows back to the core ecosystem, then people that own Raider Staker uh, or, or stake their raider, they could be earning rewards from other games that are that are using you know the assets. So we don't have a, a, a really full fledged like licensing program. That is something on the docket for our lawyers to help us uh, figure out. We have a couple of things for them to do first. Um, but like there's a there's another uh, interesting game out there. It's called Forgotten Wizards. I always butcher their name, but they're kind of taking that approach where instead of being a game, they're trying to build a platform where then other people can build games on top of their platform and use all of the assets and build cool experiences. So whoever solves that, whoever can be the Warcraft 3 of Web3 is going to have blockbuster success. And what's cool is we already have people in our community building mini games on top of our game just because they want to do it and it's fun. Um, but we still haven't figured out like the, the whole licensing. Because here's a great question for you, Devin. Like what... What percent royalties should you get if they use mobs, your items, and your characters, right? But then also, what if someone just wants to use mobs? You know what I mean? So the like it has to work both ways where basically they don't want to be paying an, an exorbitant royalty to just use like a subset of your assets, right? So there's that's like the challenge is, is trying to figure out like exactly what you said, the, the creative common rights licensing royalties all of that it's my hope at some point that there will be like standardized different licenses and those can be in the metadata so that that's all like kind of explicit with the the ones that you buy yep. you know you're also buying essentially that license to use it for whatever but i i think obviously the the point that you brought up that i think matters most with that is is are you bringing value back to the asset in some way right like so if if maybe i'm say going making a ton of money using your guys' assets but that's still bringing value for you know however that's schemed back to your guys's game back to raider token back to orum back to players in the game then like that's an okay thing right maybe it's not about royalty so much as how how things are flowing value back like it's not being a vampire yep. train right Exactly. All right. So what is next for Crypto Raiders? Um, I'm thinking um, how will the game evolve by the end of this year? And how, where do you see it? Uh, let's say, you know, I want to say five years, but within crypto, you just five years, just too long. So maybe three. That's a lifetime. Five years, right? Yeah. Uh, you got to times yeah. everything by it's like dog years. It's dog <laughs> exactly. Years. Um, great question. So for me, like the 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 primary things that that we need to like solve is one, in, improving the strategic complexity of the game. So that's getting abilities in. That's going to be getting talent trees in. That's going to be getting class specialization in. Um, a big one for me is is the is the PVP, the end game PVP, and the end game PVE. So right now we only have one slot in there, and that's our like one v one duels tournaments. But like we want like five v five. PVP modes, right? Where it's like you and a couple of buddies, you're on a map. So you're not just fighting like Pokemon style. You're also having to like strategically like move behind barriers or like have your healer tucked in a corner and you're having to move at the end of like every turn. And then also on the PVE side, 
having these really complex, fun dungeon fights where you're going in with uh, a, a guild of 10 people and you're trying to take down this really hard boss that has three different phases and all sorts of different things happening. So I think, because I don't think that we're reinventing the wheel. We're, we're building towards a hybrid between World of Warcraft and RuneScape. So like we know where we have to get that that level of complexity and that level of depth. Um, so yeah, it's improving the strategic complexity in the game, which we're working on, uh, improving the end game components, both PVP um, and PVE, and then of course growth. Um, I just right now we have maybe four to five thousand unique players in the game. That's not a success to me. That's a great start. But if a year from now we don't have over 100,000 daily active users, then we've failed, in my opinion. Um, because there's going to be a very big dumpster of NFT games that were great for six months with four or 5,000 people, but wasn't able to break through to Axie or Zed Run level mm -hmm. success. Mm -hmm. So um, growth is going to be a very important aspect of this year. Um, but it's really improving the strategic complexity of the game, improving the end game content, but also bringing in some things that are just fun into the game. Um, so our whole community, they're just obsessed with fishing. They want an in-game fishing component that's just fun, chill, like having a good time. So like adding in some of those side quests. And that's a part of the bigger thing what we're trying to do is like have an actual overworld. So right now you just like load into a dungeon and you fight in the dungeon, right? There's no town square where you can hang out with 50 other crypto raiders and show off your gear. Like World of Warcraft, one of the best things was sitting in Ironforge in between like going into dungeons and just hanging out with people with your gear and everything like that. So that's a big aspect of the game um, that we need to add as well. But one of the big components to make that all work is we're porting over to unity right now we're on phaser JS. So we're, we're basically like a web browser game. Um, mm -hmm. and that port to unity should be done by like the end of March, but you all have a, a lot of gaming experience. You understand the, the, the leverage you get with, with like toolkits that unity and unreal provide. So I think once we've made that port over at the end of March, getting those components in the game, getting the overworld, the really fun end game content, it's going to be a lot easier to implement. It makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> what part of the, and I should have asked this earlier, but I'm interested, what part of the game is on-chain? What part of the game is off-chain? And how do you see that evolve moving forward? Yeah, great question. So <clears throat> from the beginning, we made the intentional strategic choice that we want most of the game to live off chain. So mm -hmm. like, for example, when you go and run a dungeon, you don't need to sign a MetaMask transaction to like run the dungeon. Like you literally click the dungeon, you're instantly in, right? You get an item drop at the end. You don't need to sign a transaction to like get the item. Um, so like we look at like the whole game experience or at least most of it, we want off chain. And then what's on chain is all of like the tradable assets. So one of the big things that we built a couple of months ago was the Orem bridge where you can bridge Orem on chain into the game. And that's how people can do dungeon keys, like buy dungeon keys and run more dungeons. Previously, it was on chain and you had to like, to get additional keys, you had to like run a transaction every time you wanted them. Now you can just bridge a bunch of Orem in the game and just use it like it's gold in any other game. And we think that's important for a variety of reasons. The primary, primary reason being that we want people to be able to join the game without having crypto or NFT knowledge and then build that over time. That's really hard to do if they have to sign a MetaMask transaction for every dungeon that they have to run. So we've intentionally made most of the game off chain. Now the farming stuff that we've done, so the Grimweed, Eye of Newt, the potions, those are all on chain right now. Because um, after looking at the success that DeFi Kingdoms had, and they're basically like, I look at like we're we built a game first and then we're trying to do more interesting DeFi things like DeFi Kingdom built this awesome DeFi experience and now they're building more of an actual game. Um, and so when we looked at like doing the farming on chain and off chain, one of the other reasons was is that our dev our in-game dev team is like maxed out, but we have like solidity bandwidth. So it also just made strategic sense to like go to market quicker on, on the on-chain side. Now, maybe a year from now, two years from now, maybe farming and questing is all in-game just so it's more synergistic with the game itself. But in the short term, we thought it was more interesting 
like from a, a farming perspective, the DeFi perspective, where people could be speculating on the prices of Grimweed or the prices of potions, it, it made more sense to, to keep it on chain. But the, the interesting thing also by making most of the game off chain is we have the potential to have cross chain compatibility or do a, do a side chain like Ronin did. It's a lot easier, I think, for example, if we wanted to launch on AVAX, it's very easy for us to launch our game on AVAX because like porting the game over, like since most of it's off chain, that's easy to do. Mm -hmm. um, we would really just have to get token liquidity on AVAX, um, get some of the DeFi components on AVAX, and then people could plug right in from AVAX. So by having the game intentionally, like a lot of it off chain, there's a lot of like benefits because I look at the, the cross chain wars as almost like, do you want to launch your game in one country or do you want to like launch your game across the whole world? Right. And I think that's why like Axie infinity made the strategic choice to make their own chain. And then they just have to work on cross chain compositability. Like can someone get into Ronin from AVAX? Can they get into Ronin from Polygon? Can they get into Ronin from Ethereum? Um, and then they can tap into that entire market. Like right now we're just sitting on Polygon and the, the news over the past couple of months from Polygon is fantastic. Like Polygon Studios recruited the head of YouTube or whatever. There's a lot of positive signs there, but no matter which way you cut it, the Polygon community is way smaller than the Ethereum community, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're trying to tackle the, the big picture growth story, um, you know, I think being off chain does give us some advantages. In regards to that, though, there, I noticed uh, the thing you mentioned, for example, about the aura moving in and in and out of the game, that that sort of thing. I noticed there's definitely a lot of steps involved into, say, buying a key, right? You just want to play one more run. You end up having to go from some kind of cryptocurrency, say, uh, Ethereum on Polygon, that you had to on-ramp via fiat in some way, which may have in itself incurred fees. And then you've got to turn that with VSA a sushi swap over to the Aurum. Then you've got to put that into the game. Then you've got to buy the keys with it. Then you can do the run. And that's a lot of steps just to click play again, right? Um, how are you guys looking at the idea of on-ramps in, in order to be able to, like, I want to just buy a key for X amount of money. Here's my credit card. Let me play some more. And, and I love that you brought that up because that is such an interesting challenge from like, if we could just go and do it, I'd want to do it right away. Because that also le like goes back to the premise of like getting players in that don't know about cryptocurrency. Like, why couldn't a player just join Crypto Raiders with their credit card, pay 50 bucks for a new character, and then buy some dungeon keys, right? The interesting thing is, is that if you let someone buy dungeon keys, or let, let's say like you let someone uh, buy uh orum with like uh their credit card but then they bridge that orum out and sell on the market are you now in unregulated exchange because you've allowed someone to exchange usd you know for cryptocurrency right so there's like an interesting dynamic there that like we we have to figure out but i think that there's like a ton of value there like one way you could do it is that you could just lock like usd volume right and not allow like usd stuff to be bridged out so like if someone wants to come in, they can buy a character for 50 bucks or whatever. They can buy some dungeon keys and all of that jazz, but like they can't bridge those assets out of the game unless they already like have Aurum in the ecosystem or something like that. We haven't fully figured it out, but you know what I mean? There's, there's basically a fiat like ramp and then there's like a crypto ramp. And I think if you, you can scale both of them up as long as you don't do like obvious exchanges that like makes it look like okay someone spent two hundred dollars in your game and then they bridged out five hundred dollars worth of aurum um you know regulators especially in the united states may not you know like how that looks from an optic standpoint but i'm i'm thinking about that problem on a weekly basis because you're 100 right like there's no way that you can cut it and make the crypto side seem like an easy on-ramp right Splitchalance ended up in a similar similar problem where they were like careful about because you could you could use PayPal to buy credits. So they were like, oh, well, you can't exchange credits for this and this and this because then we start to look more like an exchange. So it's definitely a problem more as a uh, as opposed to uh, Skyweaver, which just came out into public beta. You could just throw down onto ramp your credit card and then buy USDC on Polygon and then and then buy cards in the market. So like everyone seems to be And that's the way to do purchase. it. Like if you can use... If you can use an intermediary that can kind of handle the exchangey part of it, um, and and that's actually really because you could actually on OpenSea you can buy a Polygon asset with a credit card because they've already like integrated. Yeah, that's literally how I bought my first Raider was MoonPay 
into the so i didn't have to on-ramp ethereum stuff like that exact same way right exactly it, the only problem of course is is like i i went to i went to do it then the fees took off just enough that i'd put more in to pay more fees to be able to actually to, to get the crypto it raider. literally at one point in time i told someone like i was like the best way to bridge money on polygon is just to like buy three characters with your credit card and then sell two of them and now you have all of the money that you need on polygon to like do everything that you need to do but i mean you're you're spot on and i'm gonna have to look at those companies that are solving the same problems because that's that's really interesting to to try to figure out but like that that's the key is that the whole crypto space is trying to challenge is like the the smooth on-ramp like in an ideal world someone could play around with the game a little bit maybe in a free-to-play mode they decide they want to buy in it's 50 bucks for a character and they also want 50 bucks of Aurum. They can buy like a package, but that package is like processed through a an actual exchange, right? And then it kind of like drops in our wallet there. I mean, that's probably a billion dollar idea. Whatever exchange platform can figure out like how protocols can like integrate it into their game. Cool. All right. Um, so if you're working on something like this, uh, you can reach out to Nick. You could also reach out to, to me if you're, if you're looking for investment potentially. Um, all right, that was it. Devin, Nick, thanks a lot. I mean, it's it's yeah, Nick, you're 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 great at this. So um, the, the, this hour flew by. Uh, this was great. <laughs> Where can people reach you if they want to ask you questions or tell you uh, how awesome your game sounds? Yeah, I'll, yeah. Reach uh, reach me at Nick at CryptoRaiders.gg. That would be the all the right. best way to get a hold of me. Or just hop into CryptoRaiders Discord. I'm in there under sophisticated art speculator we can just dm on discord as well still needs to change that name okay. i know <laughs> <laughs> cool. all right well um this was it thanks a lot devin uh, nick for your time this was amazing um yeah listener thank you for listening hope you enjoyed and um yeah this was the metacost and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode cheers